Let's spell a song so you can sing along with one special guest star too. For two, you like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a new guest who I've been trying to get on the pod for a while. He is one of the hosts of the Old Souls Club. It's Michael Valvo, everyone! Yay! Woo! Hello, everyone! Thank you so much for finally having me, John. Finally. I'm so excited. We've tried for what seems like decades, even though this podcast is only three years old. Well, the pandemic was at least five years of that decade. So let's face it. I mean, I think the math is mathing. It's fine. The math is totally mathing. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. I mean, I'm enjoying the snow today. You know, it's fun. (laughs) I love it. How are you? I am enjoying what we're going to talk about. I could tell you that. And we're here today to talk about the I Love Lucy season two, episode five, titled The Operetta. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by Jess Oppenheimer, Madeline Davis, and Bob Carroll Jr., directed by Mark Daniels. It premiered on October 13th, 1952. It's this amazing. Was, was this one of the first television shows? It was. It, it was the, definitely the first television show uh, that created the three-camera technique. Desi Arnaz uh, created this technique because he knew early on that Lucy performed well in front of an audience, that she needed that energy. And it worked so well when she was doing My Favorite Husband, the radio show that Jess, Madeline, and Bob were the writers for. And they saw how well Lucy did in front of an audience with that because even though it was radio, she still had all of her facial expressions, her physicality. Mm -hmm. Like it was, that was like the bubblings of it. And so- The stage actor in her. Yeah, it totally, like she knew like instinctively that that's how her character, the character was Liz Cougat on My Favorite Husband. um, And that's what preceded I Love Lucy. But that it was just, there was gold in that. So Desi Arnaz, uh, he's the founder of the three camera technique, which is of course still used to this day on sitcoms. as well as like the idea of having an audience and filming the show and not using kinescope and filming it in New York and broadcasting it via kinescope to the West Coast. They were the first to also do this on the West Coast, whereas most television was filming in New York at the time. Wow. Mm -hmm. And and according to IMDb, the the Ricardos and Mertzes perform in an operetta for a club benefit. That is a serious understatement as to what happens this episode. It really is. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, IMDB and these, you know, these other sites, like they really do try to make a one sentence thing about it or like Netflix even when they describe something. And this description barely scratches the surface, you know, but it's, but they don't get into the, they don't get into the embezzling. No, they don't get into the, I mean, I watched this on Paramount Plus, and it was uh-huh. very interesting to see that, like, the operetta, it's the actual performance of it mm-hmm. is, like, a really long portion of the episode. It is. It's actually, it's funny you say that because I, um, I made note of that as well, because really the operetta itself is almost 16 minutes of the episode, and the other 9 to 10 minutes, because you know, episodes were longer back then, not as many um, commercials. Um, The other nine, 10 minutes is what sets the episode up. So it's really great to see that this is majority of what um, the episode is. I mean, they were doing, this is what Glee saw and they were like, we can do, we can make a show of this. This is the original Glee, our episodes like this that Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz did. And this show... Like, I guess this, we could say, we could be bold in saying this is the first musical episode of a TV show ever, because mm-hmm. I can't think of anything earlier than this. I don't think there is either, unless it was simply stated to be, like, a variety type thing. But that really happened more in the mid to late 50s, not so much the early 50s. And before, um, you know, in the first season, uh, Desi Arnaz as Ricky Ricardo would have his orchestra and there would be numbers throughout because the character is um, a band leader as well. But it still wasn't like a full episode dedicated to be musical. You know right. what I mean? No, yeah, yeah I was, I think, I, I was yeah. thinking about this before we before like 
when when we figured out what what, what we were going to do this mm-hmm. we're going to talk about this i was like the show itself is musical but it doesn't mm-hmm. have a lot of songs it has yeah. a lot of music and there's a lot of performances because the one that comes to mind is when lucy is a, like a horse or some, and she's jumping through the the hoops and everything. I was like, "That's an iconic oh, moment." Yes, yes. And when they're in Europe, uh, when Lucy meets the Queen, and it, yeah. it, like she's part of the stage show, and yes, she's got that big feather, and she's big, yeah, the big horse, and she she's a pony and everything. But like yes. there's moments like that throughout, and then yes, you have Desi playing with the the band at the. Mm-hmm. Mm, they're not at the Copa. Where are they? What is the well, the, the name changed throughout the series. Like it started as the Tropicana Club and then <laughs> like then he bought it and then became Club Babalu. Like so it did go through changes as well. Sometimes the writers weren't always consistent with things like they <laughs> like honest to God throughout the series. The character of Ethel has three different middle names. They never remembered what her middle name was. So nobody wrote it down. Nobody wrote it down. <laughs> you know, it, so it's really funny how some things yeah, they just change it up. But hey, no one's perfect. You know, it's fine. <laughs> but the but the beauty of of a, of this show is that like episodes can be pulled out of context. So like this one, oh yeah. I mean, you're introduced to the ladies' club, the women's club mm-hmm. that they're part of. Yes. None of those characters come back again. I feel no, like. very. I they don't really. It's the Wednesday afternoon fine arts league is the club that they're part of, and. Like throughout the season, or pardon me, throughout the series, there became regular club members. Um, like Carolyn Appleby is a big one, and she Carolyn became like Appleby, a recurring character. Right. Yeah, and um, so like they kind of did that, but in terms of this episode and this group of women, I don't believe any of them returned for any other installments when it featured uh, like a club episode. I think this is it. Now, like I know the show. Mm-hmm. would use actors again so they would play yes. like the club president and then restaurant patron and this and that so maybe the actors did come back but mm-hmm. i'm kind of knowledgeable about the show i know you are a historian when it comes to lucy <laughs> yeah that's correct <laughs> no you're not wrong with that that's very true it's been a lifelong uh, lifelong thing for me to, you know, with Lucille Ball and her body of work. Like I've been a fan since I was, I first watched it when I was four years old and that did it for me. And um, the first episode I ever watched was uh, the job switching, which is more famously known as the candy factory episode. And yes. yeah, that was my first one. And my parents, they had a tape, a VHS tape. Let me specify because, you know, we're millennials. We did have cassette tapes too. Um but there was a tape that they had where they taped episodes off of like daytime TV. It was like NBC, one of those. Mm-hmm. And because they enjoyed it and they had it set aside and it was like a super rainy day. And surprise of the century, I was a rambunctious child and they, you know, and it was raining. I couldn't go outside and play. So I was this bundle of energy. And my mom had just had this idea to put me in front of the TV and see if I would like this. And literally the rest is history. Usually when I uh, when I introduce the whatever we're talking about, I talk mm-hmm. about the like who wrote the music and lyrics, but I yes. couldn't find that with this one. Mm-hmm. Do you Not, know if it's I do. Oh, who wrote yeah. it? Yeah. Um Elliot Daniel, he is the composer of all the music in this episode, and he also wrote the uh the music for the I Love Lucy theme song, which of course is by far the most famous thing he ever wrote, but he he was um an Academy Award nominee for scores that he wrote for different movies of the of the 40s, early 50s, maybe late 30s too. But for a long time, and especially at first, he did not want his name associated with the I Love Lucy theme song or the show because television was such a new medium that it was mm. very risky at the time to, you know, to kind of dive into TV. At first, people didn't think this the whole concept of TV would really work. And you know, even right. Lucy, when they decided that they were going to do this show, it was to help save their marriage. It was to help keep them together. You know, they had a lot of reasons for wanting to go into television. But Elliot Daniel was very skeptical and was like, yeah, I'll write this, but don't put my name on it. But, of course, years later, he got his name involved with it because it took off in a way that no one it expected. Exploded, yeah. It exploded. So then he did receive royalties, residuals. So he got the coin afterwards. But... Um, so he wrote the music, but who wrote the lyrics 
actually were the um, the three writers, Jess, Madeline, and Bob. And oh. what's so brilliant about that, in my opinion, because, you know, of course, we're going to get into the songs, but they, you know, they're not lyricists first and foremost. They are sitcom writers, radio writers. That's what they did. So they really know that character of Lucy so well by this point, because she originated the idea of Lucy, you know, in the late 40s with the radio show, that they knew exactly how someone like Lucy Ricardo would write us would write the words for a song that's why some of these rhymes are so hysterical and insane but if you're not a lyricist you wouldn't you wouldn't know that you know what i mean so they they did such a brilliant job writing it as lucy ricardo because later down the line they do another musical episode called lucy goes to scotland and uh similar you know most of the episode is like this but in that one, they do have an actual lyricist and composer because it's not written by Lucy, the character. Got it. Yeah. So in this in this episode of the operetta, Lucy is tasked to put on an operetta mm-hmm. for the for the ladies. But right. like she she's writing it to save money because she embezzled all the money out of the funds. Exactly. To save the hundred dollars on royalty fees. And I love, you know, you look, cause you know, we said 1952 and you to think a hundred dollars now, I'm like, that's a trip to Trader Joe's. That's nothing. Well, you so know? when, when they talk about how $10 was nothing, I was like, really? I thought it was. I know. I love it. When they, when she talks about it's, when Lucy and Ethel, you know, this is at like the top of the episode and it's written so well because it's like it's like a verbal tennis match between her household checking account and the checking account for the club because Lucy Ricardo is the treasury and borrowing ten dollars here to balance this out then to replace this ten. And she had she lost track along the way. And it's just it's written and, really well that they do that. I love that part. And so she's writing the show, but is she also directing it? She's yeah, she's directing it, writing it, doing the music. She's casting. The only thing she doesn't do is build the sets and costumes because she rented those because she postmarked the date for the check to be the day after the performance, because then they're going to have so much money. So, of course, they'll be able to pay that off and balance the books out and everybody wins. And that's the plan. I mean, it seems sound. Yeah. It absolutely does. It, and, you know, and another line that's really funny is, you know, because she did it uh, back and forth. So that way Ricky doesn't get mad. And uh, there's a bit when they mention prison and Lucy says to Ethel, you know how fat I look in stripes. And she's balancing the books out uh, so she doesn't end up in prison. And I, I just think that's very funny, like relatable. People still say that. I can't wear stripes. I look fat in that. Like that. That is that line has totally stood the test of time. I look, you know how fat I look in stripes. How fat I love I look it. In stri- oh my goodness! <laughs> What's interesting too about this is that I was counting. There are eleven people basically in this episode. Yeah, and that's a lot. For that's this a time. lot for the. That's a lot. I don't count. Oh, maybe maybe thirteen, fourteen, because mm-hmm. you have to include the people at the end, the guys taking this stuff apart and everything. But yes. I was like, this is nothing compared to TV today. But oh my gosh, still... T- TV today, you know, you look at shows like The Crown and the series regulars, it's a cast of 13, you know, yeah. like that's, um, <laughs> it's very different. Yeah, and I was like, but, but the fact that it was pared down made it even more interesting because it was mm-hmm. like, we don't need the extra noise. We don't need the extra voices. yes. There is that five lady ensemble. Yes. But like, that's really all we needed. And then we have. Yeah. And then we have the president and the other lady as the guard, because there's Mm -hmm. two of them. Right. Which which I have to say, this one isn't as funny as I remember, but it's still pretty funny. Uh Uh-huh. This episode. It's it I it this is one of my all-time favorite episodes. I absolutely love it. That woman who plays the president, her voice, she reminds me that character voice that she puts on, kind of like a female version of Gail Gordon who went on to be in the Lucy show, Here's Lucy and her final sitcom Life with Lucy and kind of became the Lucy character's foil in the 60s towards the end of her life. But um and he was also oh. the original choice for Fred Mertz. 
but he she has that similar like oh i'm you'll see my costume <laughs> like it's so oh my god it's so <laughs> funny and ridiculous and insane and it's just and it's so put upon and i oh my god i like talk about chewing the scenery that woman did it with those lines and that voice oh it's so funny because it feels like a lot of these people are stage actors and probably radio actors too so you have to be Mm -hmm. uber expressive and you know play to the back of a house absolutely yeah the and that was something lucy in her her entire career you know and many people who worked with her said you know Vocally, she projected as if she was in a theater, even though this was television. And, you know, she's got a mic over her head. Doesn't matter. She always talked about, you know, project that voice, throw it out there, let him hear it. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, in the 50s, sure, because technology wasn't there just yet. Right. And Carl uh, uh, Frund, who's the who's the sound editor, he was an older gentleman and didn't have the best of hearing at that point so it, so for his purpose it made sense but as we got into the 80s lucy still had that mentality she was very old school and when she was doing her final sitcom life with lucy in 1986 very short-lived it was panned by critics it only lasted eight episodes and you but she even told those cast members you know the, like the younger ones the new generation if you will throw that voice to the back and they were criticized for shouting their lines so it's kind of interesting you know uh, Lucy like to project like that but she did that her whole life but didn't realize that as you know technology got better you didn't necessarily have to do that she's such a good person I oh yeah her. oh i mean i'm obsessed <laughs> <laughs> what you're obsessed i know it's just it's just wild but it's totally fun <laughs> so the opera that they write the mm-hmm. peasant, ple- the pleasant peasant. Yes, she says that there are eighteen scenes in it, which I feel like that's a lot for an operetta. That's so many, and ju- that's just Act One is eighteen scenes, <gasps> and that's right. which is crazy. And it occurred to me, I was like, God, eighteen scenes. But then I, you're like, that's so nuts. But I remember, just for like comparison, when you think about it, I I did. Because, you know, high school, we all did our shows in high school. And I did How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And to this day, I remember the first act of that is 14 scenes. And so I kind of, I'm like, maybe of that era, 18 scenes does sound like a lot. But maybe not at the same time. I don't know. I mean, it's also like, what is a scene? Because there's, we see six songs from this. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming there's more. But like, mm-hmm. are they are they saying that the good squire Quinn and then Lily of the Valley are two separate scenes? Because then yeah. that makes sense, right? Exactly. It's, you know, so and when you think about it too, like I had said before, like the majority of the episode is this, which is fifteen minutes. So having six songs in that time span, good. it's a lot. That's really good. And these mm-hmm. songs really do have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like they really, they're they're nicely written. They've got a point to them. They're not just dropped in for the sake of we're putting a song here. Like they really help tell the story of the pleasant peasant, but also for the sitcom episode, I love Lucy. They like right. they do both, and and they find the comedy naturally with mm-hmm. it. So like when uh, Lancelot, uh, played by Ricky Ricardo, um, comes in, there's the like we said there's the two guards and one of them puts the trumpet down before it's done playing so they bring it back up like it's funny and then the the queen of the gypsies yes i think we're here let's talk about the music let's queen talk the about gypsies. the music we, yeah because we're going there let's, <laughs> we're going let's there. hit it off i was so watching it mm-hmm. um i this isn't when they establish lucy's a bad singer right or is it like earlier that they established that she can't sing it's a little bit earlier on. Um, she, because she, she's always trying to get into the show. Like that's that is a common thread throughout the entire series. Right. So it is stated that she is not a good singer. What Lucille Ball, though, you know, I mean, and she said her whole career she's not a great singer, but she did do Broadway. She was on Wildcat, and you know, and her hit song "Hey Look Me Over," you know, 
people still sing it to this day. But what Lucy has, and you see so well in this episode, is that regardless of the vocals, and they're played up for the episode, of course, Lucille Ball had a phenomenal musicality to her. She understood the yes. rhythm, the beats of timing, be it for physical comedy, be it for music. And she was a fantastic dancer. I mean, that woman had a set of legs that didn't quit until the day she died. Like that, those legs are iconic. And so she, she just, she can embody what something should feel like and get to the heart of it. And she does that so well in these, uh, you know, in these songs, especially in Queen of the Gypsies. Well, so in Queen of the Gypsies, though, I was wondering, mm-hmm. is she even singing? I think she is absolutely singing. Yes. Well, well, is she singing like Lucille Ball or is she singing like Lucy Ricardo? Because when uh, when she's with the, the chorus, you know, the mm-hmm. lady ensemble and everything... I guess they blended her or she blended her voice to be hidden underneath. But there yeah. were moments where I was like, are you just moving your mouth along? Like, It could have been, honestly, it could have been a combination of both. I, I'm not sure. I do know um, there is, when we get to the song, but I'll tease it now. There, One of these songs that was pre-recorded, believe it or not. I know not. which one it is. I you do? Okay, all right. Then we'll get to it. But... Um, she very well could have maybe at some points maybe lip synced it maybe did something more in her normal voice and to save it for that moment at the end of the song when she jumps in front of the other one and does that it does that bit (laughs) she could have saved her voice or saved the comedy for that it's very possible i'm not sure because those five women really do overpower whatever she's singing like they they belt to the gods. <laughs> and what's what's fascinating though, and this is a this is a thing that I come across when I do classic Hollywood or older things, is that mm-hmm. they don't credit everybody. I no, think the only one I think the only per I see there's only one uncredited credit mm-hmm. <laughs> on the IMDB page, and I believe it's for this singer that has that sort of recitative conversation with Lucy later. Yes. But yes. none of the other women are credited for this episode, right. which I was very surprised. Yeah, most of most of these, the people that were in these shows and as uh, featured ensemble, if you will, whether they were part of it, you know, if they had a line vocally, whatever, most of them were very, very rarely were they ever credited. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it just wasn't a thing then. And even other shows of that time um, didn't do it either. I really, the crediting, giving people credit, as crazy as that sounds, it wasn't really until the 60s. But, you know, even if you look at the credits of I Love Lucy, um, it wasn't until more people were getting the credit they deserve. Like Irma Coosley, her hairstylist, who was with her her entire career, didn't get credit at the very beginning. And she was doing all of, her wigs, like the person who's doing Lucille Ball wigs, Lucille Ball's wigs did not get credit when the show first began. Oh my God. But she back, had to negotiate for that. So, but back to the Queen of the Gypsies, yes. like I, I, watching it, first of all, this is something that is stuck in my head, this mm-hmm. song. Like there's, there's a bunch, there's a bunch of moments throughout the Lucy, I Love Lucy as a series mm-hmm. that we could call iconic the chocolate episode the the bread moment the yes. harpo marx moment mm-hmm. for me though queen of the gypsies is stuck in my head with the damn tambourine and everything. oh yeah oh but yes wa- but watching it like i really appreciate lucille ball because she's mm-hmm. not afraid to be ugly she Never. was like she was like it's for the bit Let's do it. Black my teeth out. Give me the craziest hair. Let's go. She absolutely loved it. You know, she always said drama is much easier. And she loved the, for her, drama was much easier. But comedy was always the challenge. And that's what she loved. And would rehearse those bits for hours. Hours she would do that. So she probably literally perfected and knew exactly where to hit that tambourine to get the right sound that she liked. The, you know, her reactions, everything. She was a rehearsal aholic. Loved it. That was her passion. Um, 
So, but that's not the first song of the... Correct, of it's the, not the first song. No, I know, we just love it. Uh, they start with the Pleasant Peasant Girls, which is a fine opener. It kind of mm-hmm. reminded... It, it kind of reminded me of... Um, oh, in Pirates of Penzance, like the, the girls that would sing. Do you know that show? Yeah, that I well? do. It, this does kind of have like a Gilbert and Sullivan feel to it. You know, yeah. which makes sense because those are operettas. So it, yeah, I think that's a perfect comparison. Yeah, and then we get the good Squire Quinn, which is Fred singing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. He's 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 Fred is another one that I feel like wants to be in the shows, but isn't as loud as Lucy is about wanting to be in the shows. Yeah, and I think do you know? And I I have a theory for that, and I think it's because the character of Fred was in vaudeville before meeting ethel and buying this apartment house and there's an episode um it's called mertz and kurtz it's uh like season end of season three maybe into season four and it's where his old vaudeville partner comes to visit so i think because he had the character fred had a vaudeville career before owning the apartment house i think that's why he was never like pounding on the door as consistently as Lucy Ricardo was to get in the show. Right. And then I feel like he's more in the shows than she is. And he's oh, always yeah. grateful about it. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, uh, Ethel mm-hmm. is, is, <laughs> she's, oh, yeah. she's a better singer, but mm-hmm. she's not a performer. Right. Or, well, beforehand? Vivian Vance, she did have she did have a great career on Broadway in vaudeville. Oh no, I mean the history of Ethel. Oh, the, oh, the history of Ethel. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Ethel. Um, she kind of does. She didn't do vaudeville in the way that like the Fred character did, but um, in an episode called Ethel's Hometown during the cat when they're on their way to California, she does a show in Albuquerque, New Mexico, her hometown, because she's like this big, she makes up that she's this big celebrity now, which she's not. But, um, but she like performs at like the community theater. So I think she, the Ethel character had stage experience, but not okay. professionally like Fred. Cause when she sings Lily of the Valley, oh, it was, it was beautiful. And then that so good happens. And you're like, what is going on with this I dirty it's the, jazz? Uh, it's the best. I think of the six, it's the best song. I think it's the one that the fans remember the most. And it's a highlight, I think, in Vivian Vance's career is this moment. It's so good. Yeah, because, I mean, she's probably, we're only in the second season. So maybe she sang already on, on the show. I can't remember. Can you? I th- uh, yes, I think she did, but it wasn't, I'm blanking off the top of my head. I think she did, but it's nothing to this extent. Like, this really shows off the vocals that she mm-hmm. had. You, like, this was, like, I mean, kind of like a debut, if you will. You know what I mean? Like, it. I mean, she just goes for it, and it's incredible. Like, and, and as you were saying, she had... Vivian Vance had a Broadway career, so she knew how. Yeah, she knew how to do that, and especially that last bit, the jazzy bit when she does the like the growl into to Helen, not to dilly dally like that. She she worked with Ethel Merman and studied under Ethel Merman and learned how to do her voice so well that she was cast as the understudy for Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes in the original Broadway cast. And she did get to perform it like four or five times. Ethel was like, I'll let you have it. And then <laughs> and then because of that, she did the original tour of Anything Goes and was Reno Sweeney. Good for Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah I know. And that, it, amazing. But like that's so Vivian Vance knew how to she had a really phenomenal ear to mimic voices. And I guess she was very known for that. And so for her to do Ethel Merman, and of course, at the time, they were all about that. They loved it. So I think that's her Ethel Merman kicking in and just, uh, you know what I mean? Because it's it's yes. like, it's that brassy, it's the showgirl. It's exactly what we think of when it comes to Ethel Merman. It's that, nah, it's wonderful. But oh, it's, it's, so, it's so fascinating in the world of this operetta mm-hmm. that you have Gilbert and Sullivan, yeah. Victor, he- Victor Herbert, no. Yeah, Victor Herbert. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
you have all these other op- operetta lyricists and composers and everything that yeah that they are clearly inspired by but then all of a sudden it's like fuck it let's play to vivian vance's strengths <laughs> and they do and you know and not only is it her vocal strength but it's also her comedic strength because i think in the beginning of the song when she does that i am lily of the valley of the quiet peaceful valley over there point the way that she does that point is so there's such a carelessness to it but it's so precise that she knew what she was doing and it's just remarkable her comedic timing there to you know to just have that moment of like oh yep over there don't forget but you know this whole operetta lives in that you know like they're looking you know when they're looking for something they you know they do that what what's over there it lives (laughs) in that world and they're so you know and the rule with comedy the more serious you play it the better it comes off and this episode is a perfect example of that um and then we talked about queen of the gypsies the next Mm -hmm. song is the troops of the king yeah so okay (laughs) go for it yes I'm going to bring logic into this for a hot second. I'm ready. If Lucy wrote the show and mm-hmm. the music and everything, shouldn't she know when to finally drink at the end of the song? I know. And she does. It's kind of like she forgets because part of the gag is, yeah, we like to drink, 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 repeat. Cause she tries to go for that sip and then, but doesn't do it. But you would think if she knew this show, <laughs> if she, she would not it, do that yeah. the whole time, she would have it over to the side and just go with it and then drink at the end. But in the daffiness of it, like, you know, it, it, it's a bit you know, and it works, but, but the logic would be, yes, like, hold off. You're hold like, off. that's you, wrong. You wrote this. <laughs> You right. wrote this. Right. But it's, yeah, that drink, drink, drink is, I mean, that is the majority of that song is just that repeated <laughs> several times, climbing up, you know, a little bit more and more and more. It's funny. Uh, until the end and she finally chugs it and you're like, and I'm like, what was in there? What was that? <laughs> what was supposed to be in there? Because she makes a face of like she makes Aw. a face, and I think it's probably because in the um in the good Squire Quinn they talk about the ale and the stout, and I think one of my favorite rhymes to jump back to that song for a minute is saying that the um Squire Quinn has gout because of the stout, and I think that is hysterical to rhyme that because it's so it's so cringy, but it's so perfect, like who would ever put the word gout in a song and then rhyme it but it's so good and then there is i am the good prince, prince lance <laughs> i like to sing and dance, and dance a lot, a lot. <laughs> so you teased earlier yes and this is the one correct and you this is the one that was pre-recorded and you can tell you can absolutely, <laughs> absolutely tell it is because it's the only song too where it the balance is you know you there's a balance to it you know it's not the the piano is so much quieter than mm-hmm. desi's voice you know it's just it's it's a true, true honest to god recording and you can also catch at the very very end the last word is off like yes. his lip sync is off to the um to oh, the note it's off throughout <laughs> and it's it's off throughout, but it really is noticeable in that moment because he's standing still. But what gags me is the reason they said that they pre-recorded is that the physicalness of it, he couldn't handle doing the physicalness of the song and sing it well enough. And I'm like, but he just paces back and forth and he he gets on one knee to pull out that weed for a second. And there's no vocal struggle there at all. Like it's just as clean as a whistle. And it's so bizarre to me. I don't know why. I'm assuming that this has happened before. We've seen him wail on a bongo while singing Babaloo. Oh, yeah. That was, that was episode one, right? That has to be. It was, they did um, in uh, what's technically like the pilot, but was made into episode number six called The Audition. And yeah, they do that. Um, and they do... Uh, that's the bit where Lucy comes in as the professor with the violin. It's that episode. And, um, but also even when uh, they sing Cuban Pete and they're dancing and everything, he and Lucy, like 
they he sings live yeah, in the majority of the series. So I don't it's know so why. Weird. I don't know. I I don't know if he ha- if was nervous about something. There was an off week, like. Desilu, the studio, hadn't taken off yet where it was producing so many other series that his president duties were overtaking. It was still early on, so I I don't know. I've never found a reason as to why that song is pre-recorded. I don't get it. it. Yeah. Um, so the other thing about this, and now that we're at the end of the, the show, the operetta and everything, mm-hmm. when when the rental company comes in and starts taking things away and havoc ensues, you can clearly see the people waiting for their entrances. You can. (laughs) Yeah. You can see some of those women waiting, you know, like holding out, like, like there's one particular where the, um, it's the doorway. Yes. It's the doorway. And the guy is like pulling Ricky's pants off, uh, getting the costume back and she's standing there clear as day. And she like clutches her heart for a second. Like, Oh God, wait. Okay. Now I'll go. And it's just, it's plain as can be. And even before then you see the little gaggle of ladies going, wait, go. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's so interesting to see that because, you know, the majority of these shows, it was very, very, very rare for them to do a second take or go back and reshoot something. Almost all of I Love Lucy was filmed in one take. And it, because they, they did it like a little play. And, you know, at the end wow. of the episode, wrapped it up and they would have dinner. So the, the, when you think about it, that whole sequence, that bit of the running and the chasing and pulling the set pieces and the costumes and all of that, it was done in one take. That My would God. never happen today. That would never happen. So even though they stand there for that, those brief moments to wait for their turn, it's it's amazing that they you know they still get their timing right and it's just fascinating how smart and how much they must have rehearsed this with 13 people you know to do this and have that audience everything one take plus the whole opera the whole yeah. operetta is one the take the whole operetta one take there is yeah. no like backstage there is it's it's happening so you yeah. have yes they cut between the three cameras but of course, the editing, absolutely. But it's there. It's yeah. the one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, one take. Because film was very expensive back then. It was. It was very expensive, and you know, originally CBS gawked when they said that they want to do this in California, do it on film, better quality, and they had to put up a lot of money in own. But then they ended up owning. You know, they had um, more majority and ownership of the show, but. Yeah, it was expensive. They knew it was a risk, so every second counted to get it right. Damn. I wouldn't do you know how long they had to rehearse? Was it a full week or was it like a couple of days? No, it was a couple of days. They filmed on a Thursday and they would start on a Monday. So they would do all of that in four days. And that was from tape table read to taping. Yeah. And then they'd have Friday off. <laughs> yeah, and then Friday and the weekends off. And the writers were always quite good at having a couple of episodes in the can ready to go, um, you know, for the next week, however many, and the idea boards and everything. But yeah, they really did do that in four days. And they, and this is, you know, and also this is when they were still doing like 30 something episodes a season. Now, you know, we're lucky to get, you, you get 10 episodes if it's a streaming series, but even if something is on network, it's what, 22 episodes at most, you know? And even then they're like, in this one, there are two set pieces. You have the living room, and uh-huh. then you have the the, the operetta, yes. the actual p- production. Right. In, and I guess that was also to save money and time. And it's like, why do we do we need another episode? I know I was reading that there was a cut episode, mm-hmm. another song, or is it like a moment? No. I can't remember what it was. I saw there it. I were, read it. Yeah. There there was something that was cut and I I did I off the top uh, of my head. It had I can't a scene where, where Lucy asked Ricky to be in the operetta. Yes, yes, and they did cut that. They cut it for timing and it just wasn't it wasn't working. Um so but you know what? I don't know if that footage exists somewhere. It's honest to God possible because they found so many years later they they made an I Love Lucy movie. And uh, the, what it is, is they 
put three episodes together to make a like a continuous plot and then they filmed different scenes to connect the three episodes and they were three first season episodes and so there was going to be the I Love Lucy movie going to theaters but then they did the long long trailer and so they decided not to do this movie because this was MGM they wanted that to be the big movie and the big debut you know, after like, you know, the series is such a hit, they wanted that to be the main focus. So the I Love Lucy movie was shelved, but they did find it in the early 2000s. So like at that point, 50 some years later, they did find it. So who knows? This little bit of footage, it could still exist somewhere in a vault. Did we have no idea. It? Did they release that? They did. It's on DVD. Um, You can actually see it. They put it in part of the uh, complete series packaging, like in the set as a bonus feature, or mm. you can just buy it by the DVD single. Yeah. Is is it the the Hollywood episodes? No, three first season episodes. I can't off the top of my head. I think one is Breaking the Lease, which is a first season episode. It's right around in there, like in like within like the twenties, episode twenties, right in there. Yeah, but they <laughs> did make an I Love Lucy movie like that. Now, because you are the I Love Lucy historian, especially uh-huh. on this episode, yeah. Um, do you know if they turned the Pleasant Peasant into an actual stage show? No, they never did. The only way it's done, like to this day, there are um, there are a few impersonators that are approved by the estate of Lucille Ball and Desi Lu, and they do have the permission to do these songs and like act these scenes out. Oh, so okay. if you see like a uh, in Jamestown, New York which is also where I'm from originally. And that's where the Lucy Desi Museum is and the National Comedy Center. Now it makes Center. sense. Everything, make you, that was the missing piece of the puzzle. Yes, because I, I volunteered there for 10 years when I was a kid growing up and I, I attended all the festivals. I got to meet everyone. And like, it's a very special time in my life. And the Uh-oh. impersonators would come and they would do, uh, they would do full shows. And it, it was incredible. They did like um, the I Love Lucy 50th anniversary review, I remember. And they did, because there is a Vivian Vance impersonator. Her name is Rhonda, um, Rhonda Medina. And Diane Vincent is one of two Lucy impersonators. And they did Queen of the Gypsies. And uh, Rhonda did Lily of the Valley. And so they have the permission to do that. But that's the only way that you could ever see this on stage. But they never did it back in that time. It was never was never a thing. I feel like it's a good operetta. I, I, I know think so, that- too. I know as you were saying that the writers got into the mind of Lucy and they wrote it as if it was Lucy, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, Lucy should be a writer then instead of right? a performer. <laughs> I think it totally stands up. And when you listen to, you know, like the hot Mikado and, you know, the, you know, these Gilbert and Sullivan pieces of that time, this fits in that world yeah. easily. Like there's nothing to say, you know, if someone did a couple of these songs, is like a pre-show into whatever Gilbert and Sullivan they're doing. I think that would be a hoot and a half. I think it'd be so funny. Oh yeah, as like a as like a um, like a uh, what is the what is like the, when you see a when you go to see a band, but there's the first act, the opening act. That's opening it. act. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is I a good opening so act. Funny. Yeah. I think this would totally work as an opening act for something like that because it's only and, what fifteen sixteen minutes. And well, if and you, you think about it, if that, and that's with all of the, you know, they had like their lines in between the songs and, uh, or, and even like when she and that Lucy and that one woman kind of were singing their lines of, uh, I need to see you for a minute. And they're, you know, I feel like, that could, I feel like in this it instance, in this instance, if you're doing it as an opening act, I think yeah. it'll be funny. So this way oh, then you break yeah. down that set and you get into... <laughs> So, so uh, Desilu people, mm-hmm. uh, Gilbert and Sullivan people have a little chit chat. Yes. Figure it out. Yeah. And let us know because we would love to see it. <laughs> We'd love to see it. I'd lo- Yeah. The fully realized costumes, even like redo those sets. Oh, it would be so funny to just really have it come to life. It'd be incredible. I mean, and keep everything, like keep the, the, that one person not playing the trumpet at the moment, keep Ricky not being able to get the flower out. Yeah. All like, of it. And you know, do you know something I've with that, with the trumpet bit, part of me, I mean, that actress is phenomenal, 
But the startled look on her face, part of me has always wondered, because this was all done in one take, is that a choice as an actress that she made? Or did that woman actually think that, you know, oh, we did the trumpet bit, it's done. Oh my God, wait a minute, I'm back to it. And then they realize, oh wait, this is gold. Don't stop, keep going, keep it in. You know what I mean? Like, it. I don't know. It could go I, either yeah, way. Yeah, it's a weird thing because you read about happy accidents even today. Yes, um, yes. Like I was watching something that pointed out in like Zoolander when mm-hmm. there's that moment that, um, oh, who plays Zoolander? What's his name? Oh, um, uh, oh God, I can, Ben Stiller. There we ben go. Sti- I was like, I can picture him. Yeah. There's a moment in the, where Ben Stiller forgets his line and David Duchovny like improvised, like yeah. with him. Yes. And I was like, oh shit. I mean, that that's a little, that's still like 20 something years ago, but still like it happens to this day that they're like, yeah, happy accident. Let's put it in. We're going to pretend like it's a thing. Exactly. And, and I mean, and that happens with even just creation of any work in general, like in the, you know, if it's, you know, a table read, if it's something like that, like sometimes happy yes. accidents bring forth an idea and they're like, wait, never would have thought of that. But the universe goes, here's an idea. Boom. There you go. <laughs> well, Michael, is there anything yes. else you want to talk about before we get into sharp and flat? I'm ready for sharp and flat. I, I yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Sharp flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. If we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. Mm-hmm. I found a flat in this. I don't okay. know. Did you? There's one. I, I kind of have a flat and it's just because it's my least favorite. So I'm calling it a flat. But I wonder if we have the same one. It's one line that I have as a flat that I was oh, like, okay. ooh. Because, I mean, all in all, the episode's pretty solid. Oh, but yeah. There's one point, it's when Lucy and Ethel are talking, and it's right after the, I don't look good in stripes. My mm-hmm. flat is the line, I don't look good in black and blue. Yeah, that's that's a flat. I do have that flat. Yes. yes. That is, ooh, we can't ooh. say that. Yeah, it's very that. Yeah. I mean, we have a we have I have a lot of conversations where I'm like I get it it's it's a of the time but even then it domestic abuse is not funny it's never funny and I mean then it wasn't funny but you know unfortunately of that time too like if and when that happened and we obviously you know things happened but it was that was the era when everything was hush hush that was the era where everything had to be like ta-da and you didn't mm-hmm. see behind closed doors you really didn't know what was happening in people's homes at that time. You right. know, you know, even look at like um, like Mad Men, I think, depicts that very well of that time of what it, what you think is actually isn't. And yeah, that black and blue line is. Ah, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it was a little it was a little cringe. Like, I mean, the fact that she's embezzling money. OK, we can we can talk about that. But like that yeah. is that is the actual crux of the episode. Without right. if that, that, without it, why would you, you do it? You don't have the button at the end of the episode. No. And you need yeah. the button at the end. Of, Lucy is a classic show because it follows, it created the tropes, basically. Yes. It really did. And, you know, you were saying earlier how this is a standalone episode. If you didn't watch in chronological order as they, you know, as the episodes aired, that kind of thing, they a lot of these episodes really do have the beginning, the middle, the end. And it's and it's a small play. Mm-hmm. They really wrote this so well that it's, you know, like, sure, we're, you know, a lot of TV today, there is continu- continuity to it. You have to watch every single episode in order to get what's going on. You know, I, I mean, cartoons are, di- you know, I mean, Bob's Burgers, I think you can watch a random one, you'll be fine, you'll get it. But this show, though, this episode and several others, you can just watch that episode and you get everything you need from it and don't need to watch anything prior uh after it's good it stands up because it's interesting it starts at the end of a meeting and then it ends with lucy just shrugging going oopsie yeah (laughs) and And it's great and you're like okay we are in a slice of life we are yeah it's uh, yes this is a little 
is that on purpose that they wrote it as little plays or was that just like their their formula no i think that was their i think that was their formula because of going back to radio days i really think so because you know with the with radio you know and even now or now i say now 1952 you know the rerun wasn't really invented yet and this you know and also desi and lucy really pioneered the concept of the rerun to sell the series and have it you know air at different times um so with radio you know there was no re-airing of the scripted shows so they had to stand alone and because if you miss the one week you know that was it so fucked, right yeah exactly so i think this this had been the formula that because the rerun was not a concept yet it had to be a beginning a middle and an end um, so that was your flat or did you have another actual it's, another that, flat? I, that line is a flat. And I got to say, in terms of like the songs themselves, Troops of the King is my least favorite. It's to me, that's okay. yeah. out of that. It's the flat for me. It's yeah, it's fine. I just, I don't know. I don't, I think even if you took it out, I don't think it, it, you know, it doesn't go one way or the other. I don't know. Is it necessarily needed? Cause then you have good Prince Lancelot, which I think, is much better than Troops of the King. I, I guess, mm. you know, the, the drink, drink, drink bit is funny, but then it it almost goes on just a touch too long for me. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't follow the rule of thirds. No, it doesn't. It doesn't follow the rule of thirds. And whereas the other songs really set up the story, because when you think about it, we don't know what the rest of the show was going to be like because it gets interrupted. So when you, the way that it's written... Or what we what we see is that it's all the introduction bits. These are the pleasant peasant girls. This is the Squire Quinn, uh-huh. Lily of the Valley, Queen of the Gypsies. Like this is what's happening, and then we learn about how they start to fall in love. That kind of thing. The troops of the king, it just doesn't add to it for me. It could go. He could come right in after those trumpets, and it could be good Prince Lancelot, easily. Right. You I, know. So- yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's just me. It's like all these years it's I've watched this. I, I don't know how many times, but I, it still is just like the. Okay. okay. Song for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily hate it. I definitely don't, but it's the one where I'm like, I could do without. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's get into sharps then. I don't, I really only have two, but it's because like, it's the, the episode is really good. It's really good. Um, I sharped the peasant girls chorus. Uh-huh. You know the the those women. Oh yeah, those um, women are flawless. They are, uh, that's why I wanted to look them up because I wanted to give them their their moment. They're due. Yeah. yeah. And you know see, what I think? Like if they were other Broadway people, because I'm pretty sure they were. But I'm, like, yeah, I'm sure they were, or they had done um, a lot of like the movie musicals of the '40s with MGM and did yeah. that kind of work. I'm sure of it. And what I love about these five women, what they embody so well, and I think we, you know, those of us that did community theater growing up, we know these women. These were women who, you know, they worked their nine to five or whatever, and then they put on this singing voice to impress whomever, themselves, other people. And I I think we know these women, you know, like I certainly know women like this when I did community theater, that, you know, they're like, that they're just this fabulous vocalist, but they never made it out of the ensemble. You know what I mean? Like, and it's almost like, and it's very shrill, kind of squawking almost, but it works. And that's like, these women knew exactly who to be and who to play. And I applaud the five of them for it. It's, it, ah, 10 out of 10. They're the pick a little ladies. Yes. Yes, they are. One million percent. And that's all they play. Yeah. Um, and my other sharp is because it's just so brilliant. The the recitative conversation. Oh yeah, like it is so well done, and um, and he especially when she starts like going off and make him uh the the singer being like all colorful with her yes runs and everything. I'm like, go off, sis. Take right? a minute. Oh, it's so it's like when she does it and even earlier in the episode when Ethel is like, quote unquote, auditioning and she does her like little vocal warm up bit, too. It's the same idea. Like it's it, you, I'm like, keep going. Don't, don't stop. I, I got so it all day. If it's the woman I'm thinking of mm-hmm. or I'm finding on here. The 
woman's name is Betty James. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and apparently this is the last credit that she has on IMDb. Well, the last oh. thing that's on her IMDb. Sure. Um, I guess she was more of a stage person. Uh, I believe that. Yeah. But she's she's done a lot. She mm-hmm. did the Babes in Arms movie. Um, okay, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, and also like that, this being her last credit, she could have just wanted to stay on the stage. You know, and she was like, I'm good. You know, who I mean, does it does it say um on there for curiosity, just like um birth, you know, date of birth, date of death? Does it give any of that information? Yeah, so I'm she was curious. born in in twenty one and she died okay. in twenty eighteen. Wow. That's amazing. Cause there really there are very few people left from I Love Lucy. Very few are still alive. And so the fact that she was lived to be almost a hundred and did this episode, I yeah. mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, even like, you know, Cher's mom, who recently passed away, she was on I Love Lucy. Wow. And yeah, and she was what, 90. 596 she was in lucy gets a paris gown and she's one of the two models that's walking at the end of the episode in the burlap sack that's Cher's mom <laughs> yeah no big deal no big deal right she just birthed an icon that's all like icons <laughs> being icons how fun and like and one women name icons lucy Cher. i love it but <laughs> uh who, but like it's interesting that there there are very few people alive i mean keith thibodeau who was little ricky He's in his mid seventies now, I believe. I it's just not many people left. So 2018, that's incredible. That's interesting that they also cast somebody that wasn't their son <laughs> to play their son. <laughs> well, he was a bit older, and they needed that. They needed an older kid to do that because he's a few years older than Desi Arnaz Jr. Oh, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's. I I just remember he's like a baby, and all of a sudden he's five. I, right, it, it does escalate. But you know what, though? Speaking of babies, fun fact, this is the first episode that Lucy Arnaz ever watched, and she was 14 months old. And it was reported in Newsweek. They did an article. They they were interviewing Lucy and Desi, and they asked, has your daughter seen the any episodes? And they said, we just showed her that episode. So this was Lucy Arnaz's first I Love Lucy episode at 14 months old. Wow. How cool is that? You but know? now... But she didn't watch it when it aired. Yeah, or did she? Because she, she was born in yeah. She uh, when when it aired. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How fun is that? Seeing Mama and Dada on the telly. On the <laughs> on on the TV. Uh, yeah. What are your sharps? One of my sharps, I think, it's always fun when I see in these episodes or movies or whatever. I call it early shade because there's. There are there are some shady bits with Lucy and Ethel sometimes, and you know, like we all know shade to this day, and it's very prominent in the LGBTQ plus community. But mm-hmm. um, shade, you know what? Shade has been around for centuries. It really has. And this to me is early shade when Lucy is describing the plot to Ethel, and she's talking about the plot. She says, "Then Ricky comes in. He's the prince, and he takes one look at you and falls madly in love with you." That'll take a little acting. Oh, I mean. Now, is this when they hated each other? No, not at all. No. Is they, the Vivian Vance and Lucille Ball did not get along at some point, right? At at the very, very beginning. And that was only because Vivian Vance was only, um, she's, uh, pardon me, which way is it? I know it's six years. Six years Younger, yeah, she's six years younger than Lucille Ball, and so Lucy was a bit apprehensive with her being cast because she's like, How is anyone going to believe that this is an older landlady? Like, she's this beautiful woman, you know, Broadway credits, she's done films, uh, tours. Like, um, how is anyone going to believe this? I hate, I hate to burst your bubble, yes, Vivian Vance is two years older, older. Oh, oh my god, Desi is six years younger. Pardon me. I knew I'm mixing things up. Yeah. There we go. But nonetheless, that you know, Lucy was a bit not on board with, with Vivian Vance at first. So it took a little bit in just the first couple of weeks. But by this point, 
they're kindred spirits. They love each other. But it was just in that first couple of weeks, Vivian had to prove herself to Lucy that was like, no, I can do this and I can be right on par with you. And then, of course, it created one of the most iconic duos in comedy. That And they worked together on a lot of the other Lucy projects, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Lucy does the comedy hour. She did the first few seasons, the first three seasons of the Lucy show as a regular. And then she guested on the Lucy show. And same with Here's Lucy. They did um, other like TV specials together, talk shows like they they did the gambit. Oh, yeah. Uh, Do you have any other sharps? You know, the. In of the six songs, you know, to go with that, the, the sharp of the six songs for me is Lily of the Valley. I I love it. Yes. I I listen to it a lot, you know. I mean it's <laughs> I really do. It's just so and it really introduces a side of Vivian Vance that viewers might not have known she had. And then she was really utilized throughout the series in more song and dance bits. You know, it was like this was her breakout debut to show what else she is capable of i just love it so much it's perfect is this before friendship oh yes yeah this is definitely before friendship yeah but you know think about it we could before this we might not have had friendship there's so many other musical moments in the series that who knows if we would have had them had this not gone so well yeah um would do you have any other sharps flats anything else those are my big ones honestly those are the ones that like that stand out to me you know check the boxes that need to be checked just yeah chef's kiss uh would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist so you said oh, lily of the valley and it's already there that's probably out of all of them that's the one for me the other songs are great i love them in their own way it's but lily of the valley stands out it's just it's the winner i think queen of the gypsies is a lot of fun it's probably my runner up but I wish we, but but it's part of the plot, but I wish you could have heard Lucy a little more in that, but it's still, it's so good. It's so good. Um, I don't know if I will add any of the songs because it seems a little precious for the episode. Like mm-hmm. he's, like he's, like he said, it's for the plot and everything. Lily and Valley is, while good or while great, I don't think I would, I think I need, you know, to see vivian dance a little and everything like i need sure the visuals visual. really yeah the visual is what helps it too because the vocal gag is her going into her ethel merman bit but what she does physically with like the point even when she does the ethel merman and she does that like that kick and the whole sass with throwing her hands all of that like it's you need that you, yeah. you do need that you do kind of need that with these songs you need the visual to really understand understand the lyrics the music everything whereas other moments you know, like if, if it's Desi singing as Ricky Ricardo doing, you know, Babalu, Cuban Pete, the, the Straw Hat song, those other ones, you they released those on record. You could you can yeah. get them. So those you can listen to on repeat without a visual. That is a that's a really good point. Um, Queen of the. OK, so I know this is the end of the episode and I should have said this earlier. Um, I know Gypsies is Gypsy is not a good right. term it's not a term really it's a yeah it's not used today really no yeah no when we say it that is the name of it yeah uh, i'm sorry right. to the right to anyone who will be offended because probably somebody is but like I, that is yeah it's of the time it's the material that's written and also it's not uh, everything that's associated with her being queen of the gypsies it's it's lighthearted humor. It certainly is not to, you know, uh, insult by any means, you know. And there, right. I think, I think there is still. I, I, I'm not sure, but I think there probably is still a gypsy community here and there. It, it might be more of a European thing. I'm not sure, but They're, they go by the Romani people. Oh, there we go. Okay, that's. I thought there was still very, okay. uh, you know, a very much uh, a community that still exists and identifies. So, um. Yeah, this certainly doesn't, in my opinion, it's not insulting. It's it's lighthearted humor, you know, and it's fiction. It's all fiction. It's all fiction. Um, and on that note, Michael, we're done with the episode. Oh, I could do a whole nother hour on I this. Know. You know? You, <laughs> I'm, surpri- I'm surprised you don't do a whole podcast on this. You know, I. it would be fun to do that. 
I, I mean, listen, I'm all about doing another one. And if this, if that's the idea, Hey, I, I'm not mad at it. I could. <laughs> well, what do you have to plug or promote? Yes, I highly, I I recommend, uh, I do have my own podcast with my co-host, uh, Very Jerry NYC, and you can find him on Instagram as Very Jerry NYC, myself at Michael Velvo one on Instagram, and we have the Old Souls Club streaming on Spotify, and we discuss uh, all the things that, you know, growing up, I'm sure, John, you heard this too, you were called an old soul, you know, for things that you were interested in, you know, as like, as a kid that, you know, you know, like people didn't necessarily think someone our age would be interested in, be it musical theater, old television, radio, you know, you name it. So, but it's things that still bring us joy. And so that's what we go into every week. We talk about these things that bring us joy to this day and help define who we are as a person and as an artist. So oh, we the old souls club. We had Nick and Knight growing up and that's right. how I watched a oh. lot of Lucy Lucy Tuesdays, that's where it was. Yeah. And like all the other shows as well. Nick at Night these days, I don't know if it exists, but when they started to do like late 90s, early 2000s show, I was like, no, we're no, not. No, thank you. No. Oh, yeah. When they were like home improvement, friends, I was like, I'm no. out. No. <laughs> no. But you know what? In hindsight, I bet our parents thought the same thing when we were watching you know, these shows that aired in the, you know, in the sixties and this was the nineties, they probably were like, no, absolutely not. And now it's just, now it's our turn to say no. Uh, let me get my walker out. It's the circle, circle of life. Literally. If And if you love Lucy, mm-hmm. you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at buttersongpod. What did you think of this episode? Is this, because you said that there was another mute, there's, there's got to be at least two other musical episodes in all of the Lucy. Yeah. Oh yeah, Lucy Goes to Scotland is the other big one. And uh and it's a lot of fun. It's a really fun episode to dive into as well. And that's that's the other one where like most of the half hour is dedicated to a musical idea. Yeah. Brigadoon <laughs> it's a right like that's that's exactly like what they're spoofing and everything yes oh they are i don't remember they, they do yeah I remember this episode by name so i'm like scotland bring yeah, it Kildun. 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 yeah it's great oh it's so much fun it's 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 one we should definitely discuss <laughs> okay well i'll put it on the list there we uh, go and if you want to be part of the next episode's conversation well we're going to be talking about oliver oh you are oh, I, I love am. oliver So good. So good. Uh, Well, this was great. Thank you for saying. This was so much fun. We got to get you back on. Maybe do the the Lucy Goes to Scotland. Maybe do other things. You know, there's a whole world of musicals that you and I can talk about. Yes. Um, Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is like, I finally, like, we could cross this off the bucket list. I did it. You know, (laughs) 2024, I made it on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll be on probably a lot more. Bring it on. I'm so ready. uh, And everyone, (laughs) thank you for listening. And bye for now. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Aaron Troy for creating the pods artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles. A huge thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. And thank you again for tuning in to today's episode of Life's But A Song. Bye for now, everyone, and have a musical day.